Florida Matters is supported by WUSF members just like you. Your donation of $5 or $25 will help ensure public radio thrives. And thanks to Candy Olson, an additional $50 will be added to your donation. Visit WUSF.org match to maximize your gift today. Welcome to Florida Matters More, the podcast for Florida Matters, WUSF Public Media's show about the issues and events that Floridians care about. I'm Robin Sessingham, and I host Florida Matters along with Carson Cooper. I'm here in the studio with Florida Matters producer Stephanie Colombini. Hey, Stephanie. Hey. Joining us today is Zach Anderson, the political editor for the Sarasota Herald Tribune. Hi, Zach. Hey, Robin. And Steve Newborn. He's the reporter and assistant news director at WUSF. Hi, Steve. Hi, Robin. This week on Florida Matters, we are taking a look back at the biggest state stories for 2017. And we all agreed the biggest story for 2017 was Hurricane Irma. Stephanie, this is your first hurricane season. That's right. I moved down uh, just over a year ago, actually recently celebrated my one-year anniversary in Tampa from New York. So, you know, we had Superstorm Sandy a few years ago. Oh, that's but true. You that, did. But that really was nothing compared to what the buildup, at least, for Irma. I mean, I was terrified. I was packing up my apartment like it was the last time I was going to ever see my stuff again. And then, of course, you know, once it rolled through, at least in the Tampa Bay area, we were relatively spared. But um, the whole WUSF news team was here in this building for almost like 48 hours straight. Mm -hmm. It was an experience. Yeah, I I have fond memories of sleeping on the floor. Right. Uh, Yeah, and while you hear the wind whipping the trees outside. But yeah, thank you for bringing the bad luck down here with you because (laughs) people forget we have not had a hurricane in the Tampa Bay area for 90 years. So another big story of the year was the gubernatorial race. Adam Putnam entered the race, and I'm wondering, Zach, Who's the most, I mean, let's say Adam Putnam aside, I'm just curious because you cover politics. Who's the most interesting politician that's come on the scene in recent years for you? Wow. Well, the most interesting in recent years, well, you have to say Donald Trump at the national level. He certainly has shaken up politics in a, in a big, big way. Um, you know, at, at the state level, I think that uh, Richard Corcoran, the state House Speaker, is, is pretty uh, interesting. He's he's has a knack for getting headlines. He's really gone after a lot of the economic development agencies in the state, things that were uh, kind of seem like sacred cows in the past. Visit Florida, the the agency that promotes tourism in the state. Obviously, Florida it was surprising. Those are supposed to be bringing jobs, yeah. and he didn't feel like they were doing the job. But there was some reporting that about money, questionable spending. He really seized on that to really. Uh, aggressively push an accountability agenda for some of these agencies. Um, And there's some crossover appeal to that. He's a conservative Republican, but a lot of Democrats look at this as corporate welfare as well. And so he got some support from, you know, outside his party for some of these uh, investigations. Steve, you're you're nodding your head vigorously. Yeah, you got to remember the the whole Pitbull thing. I mean, a million dollar contract for for Pitbull to... This uh, is from Visit Florida. Visit Florida to promote the state. And uh, there was like some stadium ads in England that they spend an ungodly amount of money on. But you got to wonder about Corker and his timing here. I mean, what he's doing generates headlines. Now, why would he want to generate headlines? Well, everybody thinks he's going to be running 
for governor next year. Um, you know, not that I'm a cynic or anything. I was but, just um, going to say you are a bit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think he's got his eyes on a bigger prize. So uh, it's it's going to be real interesting with if Corcoran does announce, which I think is pretty much going to expect it. I think it's going to be a real interesting race. You're probably right to some extent about the headlines, but it wasn't like anything he did went against his basic philosophy. Right, Zach? Yeah, no, there's been a real um, kind of groundswell. Uh, Trump tapped into this as well uh, against sort of uh, what people would term as corporate welfare. You know, Bernie Sanders tapped into this, you know, that that uh, a lot of people think that the system is sort of rigged towards uh, people that are insiders, that have money, towards special interests. So crusading against special interests is never a bad move uh, for a politician. Some people might argue that it's hypocritical. There was just an article in the Tampa Bay Times about how he raises a lot of money from special interests and flies all over the country and has expensive meals. Uh, so uh, well, those cigars too, man. Don't forget yeah, those expensive yeah, cigars, nice cigars he's paying for, right? But uh, you know, I think that it is an issue that uh, has a lot of resonance with people. John Morgan's another one of those um, kinds of politicians that resonates with, I guess, the common, in quotes, common people. Yeah, and people just like straight talk. People like, you that's know, it. that's probably the biggest appeal of Donald Trump is that he doesn't seem scripted, that he seems like he's sort of saying what he really feels, whether you agree with it or not. I think people are so sick of people just spitting out talking points and sort of these pre-approved sound bites. And uh, John Morgan fits into that same vein of somebody who uh, just will kind of wing it a little bit. And sometimes he gets himself into a little bit of trouble or, you know, causes some controversy. But I think a lot of people are willing to forgive that if people seem authentic. Yeah, I was chomping at the bit to cover Morgan at the end of the race. So it was kind of a, as kind of a bummer as a journalist that he that he announced he wouldn't. Uh, I covered a couple of his speeches at uh, Tiger Bay and this guy really connects with people. I mean, he's he's kind of a salt of the earth. He's profane. <laughs> he's funny. He talks about his drinking. Talks about how fat he is, and you know, and when Latvala basically had all this stuff happening to him, he didn't want to be known as the only fat guy in the race. So he's, <laughs> he's a guy that connects with people on a kind of a visceral level, and he would have been a really, really strong candidate. He might have might have been might still be the most effective. Uh, politician or person in the Democratic Party, although he just left the Democratic Party to become an independent, which was a big blow for the party. But he's the one that pushed through medical marijuana in Florida. You know, the Democrats haven't been able to do much on a statewide level. He pushed that through with his own money uh, and and forming a campaign. He's he's now he's seized on the minimum wage. So he took himself out of running for the governor and he said he's not no longer going to be a Democrat. He's kind of uh, cast a pox on both parties, which I think is a bit of a blow for uh, the Democratic Party because he was one of their biggest figures and fundraisers. Um, but he's not getting out of politics. That? Oh, that's a good question. That, that's a really good question. Uh, you know, maybe he's trying to set himself up as an independent uh, to, uh, you know, kind of remove himself from the sort of the typical political process. But Yeah, I don't think he's going to run for anything because independents do not win. I mean, just look at Charlie Crist, yeah, right? It's hard to see an independent winning, you know, statewide office. Uh, I'm I'm really not sure. I think it actually surprised a lot of people. Anybody else? So Richard Corcoran, interesting. I mean, Adam Putnam, one thing I wonder, like you you mentioned during the show, during the our Florida Matters show, Steve, that Adam Putnam has been sort of preordained as governor since he was 23 years old and came on the scene, has always been a rising star. If you've seen him speak publicly, he is a beautiful public speaker, very moving speaker, um, very intelligent guy. Did he enter the race 
too soon because you just don't ever hear anything about him. Really. I, I don't. I don't know. I don't think he entered the race too soon for fundraising purposes. You almost have okay. to enter the race too soon or else you're going to be left behind. Because there was a lot of excitement around when yeah. he first entered, but then it's sort of like, well... Well, it's still know. it's not going to happen for a long time yet. I mean, not till next November. You know, mm-hmm. And if you don't officially enter the race now, all the major donors are going to go find somebody else. So, um, you know, I said this during the, the show. Uh, I've been covering Adam since he was 23 years old running for state house. I mean, everybody called him Opie because of the red hair and he kind of looked like Ron Howard as a little kid. And even back then, you could tell this guy had gravitas. You knew he was preordained for something bigger. And I think he is really going to go places. In my opinion, he's the odds-on favorite to become our next governor. I'd have to agree with that. You know, he he's set himself up for this. He's been gunning for it for a long time. He's got a, a big political network. He's got the money. The The biggest knock on him is that he's been in politics forever since, you know, he was in his early 20s. Uh, and there's also questions about, you know, Jeb Bush did the same thing when he ran for president. He raised a ton of money. He got in early. And then, you know, Donald Trump just humiliated him. So uh, could Richard Corcoran come in and, uh, you know, really give Adam Putnam a strong test from the right? I, I think that he could. And it'll be interesting to see how he responds uh, if Corcoran really comes at him aggressively. So what do you, I mentioned that I think the story about the corruption of a uh, U.S. Congresswoman um, was didn't receive as much press as I thought it really should or would. That was Corrine Brown I'm talking about. What Was there any stories that you are, were surprised didn't get more play? I think one of the big undercovered stories, and maybe this is because it's just an ongoing story, is the growth in Florida. Florida has really recovered since the Great Recession, and we're really booming again. And growth is uh, a major driver of our economy, but it also creates a lot of issues in terms of traffic and uh, housing shortages and water concerns. Uh, it, it really was the dominant issue in Florida for a long time. Leading before up, 2008. Yeah, before 2008 and the housing bust. And I think it's going to become the dominant issue again. You're hearing politicians in Tallahassee talk about planning for infrastructure um, and, and trying to alleviate some of the problems that growth causes. But uh, Florida is back up. You know, we're one of the fastest growing states in the nation. Quarter of a million people roughly move here every year. So that's every four years. You have a million new people um, moving to Florida. Where I live in Sarasota and Mantee, it's one of the fastest growing uh, places in Florida, which is one of the fastest growing places in the nation. So we're growing extremely fast. And a lot of the issues that you hear people talking about in local politics are traffic, roads, housing. So I, I think that's going to become a real um, come rise to the surface again here soon. Hmm. Yeah. On, on that same tack, uh, as far as growth, I think one of the most underreported stories I've heard about are, is the influx of Puerto Ricans into the state. Uh, ever since Hurricane Maria flattened most of the state and I think half of the electricity is still out, a lot of them have just decided to beat feet and come up to Florida to visit their relatives and kind of just stay here. And I think this is going to have a real effect on the uh, the demographics of the state when it comes to elections, because uh, most of them tend to vote Democratic. I, I think we I think we're going to see a lot of politicians are going to change their positions to take the Puerto Rican vote into consideration. I mean, I even heard Rick Scott speaking Spanish at his last campaign stop, which was kind of funny when you heard it. But I mean, if you 
covered him during his first campaign. He tried speaking a couple. He tried oblying a little Espanol when he sounded like that. And he's gotten so much better since then. So you're going to see politicians kind of change their tack Mm -hmm. to get that demographic. Interesting. I thought that was really interesting what you you were saying about the growth, because I do think people are still in shock a little bit about the recession. That was a very bad time. It was extremely traumatic. I think we all know people who really, you know, fell yeah. on hard times, went bankrupt, builders, you know, it's, it, and so I think to get back into the mindset that Florida's booming and yeah. growing and you can build and you could sell your house for a profit, it's sort of hard. And people are, people are very cautious. I would say they're shell-shocked. At, at one point during the Great Recession, one in every eight Florida houses were in some state of foreclosure. I mean, it was a massive, massive impact on this state. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people lost their jobs. It was, it was really uh, devastating for a lot of people. Um, but we've really come back hard. I mean, it, it is really the baby boomers. Is Governor Scott getting enough credit for that? I'm sure he thinks he's not. uh, You know, these are cyclical economic issues, but he would argue that, you know, he is uh, cut regulations. He's cut taxes. He's made Florida a more um, a better place to do business. But this is really a national recovery. It's not just Florida that has uh, recovered. The unemployment rate but nationally. But a quarter of a million people aren't moving into other states every year. That's true. But Florida has some pretty you know great things, uh, great advantages in terms of you know the weather and. Uh, so you would give you him know, some, some credit, things. but I, I, yeah, I think the low tax climate is an incentive for people. People do move from some of these high tax states in the Northeast and the Midwest. They come down here. They can. They don't have to pay an income tax, uh, things yeah. like that. So I think that certainly matters. Stephanie's from New York. She probably- Oh my is, God, uh, the rent. I mean, <clears throat> not that I have such a bargain down here, but for where I live, I live in South Tampa here. If, you know, I equated that to somewhere in Manhattan, say, kind of a hub where there's a lot of dining and bars and places to hang out and a good spot for young people, I would probably be paying triple the rent I'm paying now, definitely double. So that, you know, the low cost of living is a huge draw. And because some of these cities in Florida are kind of booming with culture now, you know, I'm not going to lie. When I thought about moving down here, I I wasn't familiar with Florida besides Disney World. So I had some stereotypes in my mind and was really surprised when I got to Tampa and saw craft breweries and, you know, funky looking restaurants. That was like a draw for me and a lot of young people. So the fact that you can have a pretty cheap rent and still get those kind of urban perks, um, it makes sense to me that I think, you know, people are drawn to come here. Transportation is definitely something they're going to have to start looking at because it's pretty shocking how little public transportation there is. No light rail, no trains, limited bus service. So, and I think, that's definitely going to be a story. Yeah. I right. would say coming up, Steve I, covers transportation. I saw two Tampa lawmakers, I think, filed a bill recently yeah. to create a new transportation authority, alternate transportation yeah. authority. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you guys would know this better than me, but I think they've been trying to do light rail in Tampa for a while, and people just don't want to pay for it. Yeah, well, you know, mass transit is a dirty word when it comes to, you know, okay, raising taxes. Okay, but let's, right? 
look at what they just did in Orlando. They built all that light rail in Orlando, and going on I-4 is worse than ever. Yeah. I mean, it takes double the time to get to Orlando now. What was the benefit? People aren't really using it, and yeah. uh, it well, was very expensive. you have to have a certain amount of density. And the, you and have the to have Amtrak trains, <clears throat> the CSX trains are coming through downtown Lakeland now. They've been diverted from yeah. Orlando. It's sort of what comes first, the chicken or the egg. Do you build a train before you really have the dense population where people can walk to the train stations. I mean, if you're if everybody has to drive to get to the train right. station, you still need these uh, large road networks. So it is. I don't because Florida has developed in a more sprawling suburban way. It is not as naturally suited for mass transit. I think as places that developed a much more densely older, uh, you know, that have been around a long time. Right. But, or but, even, it, but if, if you look at those places, those those older places, they developed in the first rail lines. They've had a century to develop. Yeah. And one of the points that proponents of mass transit say is once you build them, you will have higher density, you'll have condos, whatever apartments along the lines. That And it'll, it'll eventually pay for itself from increased taxes. Hmm, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you see it in Washington, D.C. I was just up there during Thanksgiving and they, they rezoned uh, a lot of the properties along the rail lines mm-hmm. to allow large apartment and commercial buildings so that people can be close to transit. But I think there are people that are skeptical of it, that uh, it's it's going to be a, a costly boondoggle people, that will never make its money back. People like <laughs> their cars. And soon we're going to have driverless cars. And, <laughs> that and, is a good point. You know, and, I mean, and we've, got a, we've got a ride sharing uh, economy coming up. Um, so I, I don't know. I think we're I think we're almost bypassing the mass transit and we're going to something else you know one thing you're seeing robin though is there are some private companies that are making a bet on mass transit we saw a new train line from uh miami that's coming up all the way to orlando the bright line uh that this isn't you know local commuter trains and that's perfect and we've got like the coach the red bus and they have wi-fi and they're very nice buses so i think private companies coming in and filling this void is great. Yeah, and if they can make money on it and, and stop rolling your way. eyes, Steve. <laughs> well, I roll my eyes every time I get on I two seventy five in 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 rush hour, and you know nothing's going to happen as far as mass transit until you're stuck in a two hour traffic jam on the interstate trying to get home, and somebody's going to finally say enough, and there'll be a mass groundswell. That's the only way anything ever happens around here. All right. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us. Listen to Florida Matters Tuesdays at 630 and Sunday mornings at 730 on WUSF 89.7. You can always find it online at WUSF.org. And come back next week for another episode of Florida Matters More. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher.